0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior, to another Thursday long edition of Suncast. Thanks so much for taking your precious non-renewable resource, and that's your time, and investing it in another episode with us. I am forever in your debt and in your gratitude thank you for choosing to be here if you are new i would like to implore you to listen all the way through and give us your feedback let us know why you showed up to listen to suncast today and what you thought about it you're in for a treat today's entrepreneur has been in the renewables industry since 1999 love it since the last century <laughs> makes him sound older than he is actually But uh, my friend Ryan started Mayfield Renewables back in 2007, blending his technical expertise with his affinity for writing and education. He is the CEO of a company that now provides PV system technical engineering services Mm -hmm. to hundreds of companies across the United States and uh, probably around the world. We'll hear more about that in a little bit. If you like this kind of conversation and you are interested in hearing more about how CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs throughout the clean energy ecosystem started and run their businesses, then you're in luck. We have more than 350 such episodes here on Suncast. You can check them out at mysuncast.com or right there in that podcast player where you click play on this episode. I really want to thank those of you who've been here for the long haul, you are the lifeblood and you help make Suncast worth it. Also, thank our sponsors for helping make this free to you all. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Okay, well, as I teased there in the intro, we have a longtime solar industry veteran who has certainly put in his time in figuring out how to cut the cord to the corporate life and indenture indenture himself to not one, but many servants and or clients to serve. And uh, his name's Ryan Mayfield. Ryan and I have known each other for a little while now. I actually learned more about this business a few years ago when a friend and Suncast tribe member, Jen Alfson, joined Mayfield, helped, helped him with his rebrand uh, and has been uh, a great, uh, I think, addition to the Mayfield team. We're going to go into Ryan's decades of experience in the renewables industry and how he's serving said sector of the power world. But first, let's welcome Ryan Mayfield to Suncast. Good to see you, my friend.
1: Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate the the opportunity and and that great intro.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had a chance to kind of get introduced to who you are, the way many have, because you wrote for one of my favorite magazines, Solar Pro Magazine, may the publication rest in peace. What a treasure trove of free advice and information Solar Pro was. It's how I and many, many others got uh, any sense of technical footing in the industry absent, you know, SEI training or some other training. Mm -hmm. But you started way before Solar Pro existed. Can you tell me a sense, a, a bit about how you got into the solar industry at all? What was your first inkling of an idea that solar was a thing? And and why'd you decide to spend your entire career now uh, focused on the PV revolution?
1: I was actually, I was still in college when I was really introduced to solar and I did an engineering degree, Humboldt State University up in Northern California. And Part of that was getting introduced to, you know, all different kinds of environmental engineering. That's what our, our degree was. And the energy part of it just really spoke to me. And we we really just got into a lot of different aspects of different types of energy and the solar is what was head and shoulders above what everything else was. And one of the, I think one of the coolest things uh, is at the university that they have a research lab, their hydrogen was the the big thing uh, as far as energy goes, but they had a solar array that was electrolyzing water to produce hydrogen, to run these hydrogen fuel cells. And that's just what really, you know, got me going and really interested. And so You know, when I was at the tail end of my career or my tail end of school, started taking SEI classes, started volunteering wherever I could, that kind of stuff. And so that's, that's really what kind of got that, that stranglehold on me uh, with the PV industry.
0: You have the good fortune uh, of having, I guess, chosen, I'm not sure, uh, living in a place that many who've been in the solar industry for a while are familiar with uh, as being sort of a hotbed of PV training and technical expertise, Corvallis, Oregon. I'd never heard of it until several years into my own PV journey.
1: Why Corvallis? What draws you to the, to that part of Oregon? Corvallis was, we were in Southern Oregon. My my wife and I were in um, Southern Oregon uh, previously and Corvallis just had, you know, Oregon State University is here and it was, you know, a small community and it was, it very much just, you know, kind of called to us um, having lived in Arcata, california which is where Humboldt state is and you know just kind of that that small it's not a huge town it's not a big town um and it's also not you know this tiny little podunk thing although Arcata is pretty small <laughs> um, but nonetheless you know having that that college university feel to it was was a big deal uh and that was a that was a huge part of our draw uh to Corvallis. and then just access to everything that you know, I'm what my opinion, you know, Oregon has to offer coastline, snow, mountains, Portland, all that stuff is, you know, we're no more than two hours away from any of that. That was a big, big part of it as well. Just access to everything.
0: I'd love to hear a bit about the journey for you from getting into the solar industry, into really becoming a thought leader, whether you consider yourself that or not is a different story, but how did you decide that you were going to build a practice on your own. Like what was the what was that what was that departure
1: moment from employee to owner? This kind of goes way back uh, to when I first started working uh, in high school even. And uh, I worked for I grew up in rural California. So I was, you know, living on a farm, worked for a neighbor who owned a uh, big farm. So I was out there doing just, you know, that kind of stuff. But he was also an entrepreneur. And you know, wasn't even trying to teach me, but just watching him, I kind of saw what he was doing and and just kind of how how he was i mean, quite honestly living his life uh, and I think it stuck with me, and it wasn't even something that he was trying to teach me and so for me, you know, jumping from employee to business owner, i mean this was two thousand early two thousand seven, and uh, I had actually just taken a job uh at an architecture and engineering firm. Six, nine months prior to that. Um, and it's funny because I, I smiled when you asked the question about Corvallis. Is we were in Southern Oregon, took that job, which ultimately pulled us out of Southern Oregon. Uh, but the job was in Eugene, Oregon, uh, which is, for those of you familiar with Oregon, it's only 45, 50 minute drive. Um, but I was commuting that distance and then ended up just not liking the job, quite honestly. And it just didn't work out. It wasn't a great fit. Um, I thought it was going to be awesome. And then early 2007 is when Our daughter came home. So we have uh, three children all adopted. So we went uh, and our daughter came home early 2007. And I was just, you know, not happy. And my wife just finally looked at me and was like, What are you doing? Why just stop? Um, And so maybe this is a familiar tale or familiar story for entrepreneurs. You know, I quite honestly didn't have a great plan jumping into this. uh, And I just, it was, you know, jump in with both feet and figure it out as we go um, which I know is not the advice to give to people you know jumping into trying to do entrepreneur uh, things um, you know I'm, I consider myself one of the lucky ones here I am 14 15 years later and it's still going so despite the bad decisions uh, it, it, it worked
0: yeah and I mean and home power is right there in Oregon you met the solar Pro guys I think um, many of the staff are right there in the Corvallis
1: area right they're Southern Oregon, so I I actually met them when I was in Southern Oregon. So yeah, Joe Schwartz um, and the the Home Power crew, and the original uh, folks, Richard and Karen Perez are in uh, Southern Oregon. What I marvel at, and
0: I always wonder how things come about like this, but you know, you had the role at Energy Outfitters. I don't see any outstanding by by like superlatives, like big time engineering firm names on your credentials. But you became one of the leading voices from a PV technical, uh, writing perspective in our industry, vis-a-vis your role at solar pro magazine, where you were editor for the PV technical, um, side of the business for gosh, eight and a half years. And you are an educator for heat spring. Our friend Brian Hadden and those, t- that team have built a good platform there, educating folks. Mm-hmm. How did education play? Uh, role in your early formation. You know, they say if you teach something, you learn it twice. How did it play a role in the formation of your business?
1: You know, for me, it was. You know, I think back to when I was learning, uh, just trying to absorb uh, everything that I could with solar. You know, there was a there was a stint there uh, where I was not in the solar industry. I was you know doing everything i could so i was just absorbing home power at the time solar pro didn't exist at that point this was late 90 yeah 8 um you know 92 early 2000 kind of so i was working i did some work for a local installer but that was only part time and so there's i was just doing all these things and so for me it was just learning and absorbing everything i could and quite honestly i, I just feel like There were people that were really instrumental in helping me on that. And then there were people that were really instrumental in not necessarily deterring me on that, but they weren't helpful. And it was one of those, in my mind, it was a thing that clicked is like, I really remember people that helped me and that motivated me to try and do the same for others. Um, You know, I always was, took quite offense to people who are you know you ask them a question and then they answer it like you're an idiot for asking the question or that they've known it you know they didn't like they didn't learn it somewhere along the way uh and so for me it was you know everybody's trying to learn everybody's trying to do this right and you know in that point too um everybody was a lot like me you know bright-eyed um you know kind of change the world uh doing doing solar for you know quote unquote, the right reasons. Um, and so it was, it was great to, to meet with like-minded folks and, and do that. And so, um, that was a big part of it, you know, doing the education was just reflecting on my own way of learning and the way that I was trying to, to absorb that information and wanting to pass that along.
0: What's the scope for you and the business right now, uh, from an engineering perspective, what's the typical scope of how you engage with the industry? Like, where do you show up on projects? Are they big projects, small projects, resi, utility? You kind of help me
1: orient. Yeah. So we are, we're, we're, I would say unique in the sense that we are, we cover a broad spectrum. So we have, so started when I started the business 2007, this was purely design and engineering. That's, uh, I was doing some education, but it was, I would consider it more dabbling and just kind of a, a way of filling in some hours if nothing else. So when we started, it was a lot of residential. Um, Being in Oregon, we have, you know, Oregon Connections, West Coast Connections. And so it started off as a lot of residential, relatively small commercial. Uh, But then that quickly grew. And so we are, you know, we are involved in, primarily commercial projects. We have some utility scale that we just started, you know, our first true, what I would call true utility scale projects happened this year. we're, we're uh, helping with those. Um, but Give the size often,
0: ranges. So folks can understand what you mean by true utility.
1: Those projects are 20 megawatts. So 20 megawatt projects that are behind the fence, truly, you know, it's a, it's a power plant, um, for, for the utility versus we've done Seven megawatt rooftop projects that are behind the meter. Uh, and so, you know, done in the right situation, you probably could call that a, a utility scale project, but it was because of where it landed on the meter. I'm calling it a commercial project.
0: You know, it's funny. I'm glad you actually use that terminology behind the fence because as a salesperson in the industry, as I was coming up, I often got tripped up. I came out of the peace Corps, which government work is traditionally very vernacular and acronym prone. And mm-hmm. I, <laughs> Uh, and so I felt very at home in the PV industry, which itself seems to be extremely drawn to, uh, drawn to to acronyms and the the terminology never seemed to quite be nailed down. As example, behind the meter and behind the fence don't mean the same thing. They actually mean exactly the opposite thing, even though they sound very similar. You, you know, as a as a person who spent a fair amount of their uh, career, and I think you were being a little modest earlier about how much education you've actually engaged in. How do you? help folks discern or, or really learn the vernacular and have you seen our industry nail down some of the jargon? Uh, You know, are there resources that you direct people to things like that? What are your thoughts on the general nature of defining terms in our industry?
1: Yeah, no, that's been a, that's been a really tough one over the years. And, you know, when I was doing, you know, and, and you say that about doing a lot of training and, you know, Thinking back, I was I was doing a lot of training and um, haven't been doing it as, maybe as much as I used to. But that was that was a huge part of what I was doing early on. I would spend a lot of time just going through what those acronyms are and just you know step by step, even, you know, even I'm pulling out a spec sheet. And let's look at the spec sheet and what is what are these terms mean? And so just trying to get people on the same page. And, you know, part of the problem is. The, the vernacular, the, the terms we use aren't consistent a lot of times, uh, and it and it's, can be hard when, for example, the marketing team uses a uh, term that's different than what maybe the technical uh, term might mean. They're very, very close. And the thing that it used, to be, uh, it used to be my pet peeve, and I let it go because there's more important things in the world to worry about, but mod- module and panel. Uh, you know, PV module versus PV panel. You know, I used to be one of those hardcore. There's a huge difference in whatever. It's not worth losing sleep over. Um, But there is there is a difference. Um, And so those kinds of things make it, I would say, difficult. One of the fun things uh, that my team has done, Jennifer, you mentioned Jennifer Allison earlier, uh, one of the the, we've talked about internally and uh, she finally put into motion was uh, basically doing a um, kind of like a, a glossary and she put it out there on LinkedIn uh, and got a bunch of responses and stuff. And so, you know, kind of what are your favorite terms? And so just trying to, to get those, you know, get those discussions going. I think that was one of the fun ways of interacting with the, with the industry and um, right around, you know, the terms we're using in the vernacular. So I think that was, that was one way uh, trying to, to do that. Do you guys have that glossary somewhere? Uh I'll, I will find it and I will uh, get it to you. It's uh, Jennifer. yeah, I posted it in, um, on LinkedIn. I think it was on her on her um, personal page. Man, the number of times I've looked for
0: a glossary or tried to build one for the company I was working for or for clients. Ugh, it's it's amazing. And there is no you're right. There's no central source of truth.
1: Yeah. And that's interesting. And so I'm, you know, this is making my mind go on you know, trying to get that, um, is we we do have something you know internally you know when we're doing writing and when we're doing our internal content creation, um, trying to standardize on that and so there's another another industry resource and in thinking about
0: man me uh, think thinking for more work. work I know I know I'll, I'll constantly have <laughs> work we should we should bring you in to uh, as I'm thinking about it uh, mentor our uh, our mission minded group and our our mastermind group like I think you'd be a fantastic. Uh, addition to that to that crowd as well to our community there. Um we'll have to talk about that offline. So I'd love to know what career path did you not go down
1: but always thought you would. I mean the, the thing growing up um being a pilot uh quite honestly. Um that was like my dream. That was up until I was uh 16 discovered uh cars, girls and drugs. Uh, that was that was my uh, mission, that was my trajectory in life and uh um now I'm seeing the humble yeah. connection. I'm kidding the uh the so was the
0: (laughs) so was the pilot uh scenario uh, i you always wanted to be an astronaut or you always wanted to fly boeing 747s what what?
1: it was it was military uh is what i was really like drawn towards as a yeah top gun uh, top top gun was very influential in my life uh you know i was those were some formative years when that came out so are Uh, you more um, maverick or more goose uh i would say Goose. and that would have been my, uh, but that's funny just because, uh, so that was, so yeah, it actually started off as, uh, I had a uncle who worked at, um, JPL, which is, you know, affiliated with NASA. And so he would always, he would get these images, uh, from the different satellites that they were sending out there. So I'd always get these high resolution pictures of Mars and the moon and all these different things. And so it just, so astronaut is where I started and then it's like, you know, fighter pilot. And then, so yeah, that was, could have been, could have been where I was at. You know, Random, I borrow
0: the aviation vernacular here because I think it's apropos. As a pilot, you get that thirty thousand foot view coming in uh, on an industry, on on the airport, uh, <laughs> however you want to think about it. And now the thirty thousand foot, and then uh, increasingly more granular perspective. You as uh, an engineering firm that. Takes things across the finish line, get to see where the industry is going ahead of most people. I thought it'd be fun to get your insight on the current trends that are changing the way the PV industry will grow over the next three to five years.
1: You know, the thing that I see the most, and this is probably you're seeing this, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are seeing this as well, is you know, it's around storage and what can we do around storing the energy uh created by by our solar arrays and the really interesting part to me is you know when i got started in 1999 it was all off grid it was all battery based that you know that's we had to have batteries to to make this work you know late 99 early 2000 start seeing these you know grid tie inverters, this this new sma stuff coming on the market and you know what the heck is going on here what are these germans doing and so seeing that you know we lived through that change and now we're really coming full circle. This is something that we talk about internally. And, um, you know, Justine Sanchez, who's on our team, same situation. And we like to kind of joke about that and talk about that how it's like we, we, ha- we know batteries because that's what we had to learn. We didn't have any other choice to not know them. And so now with just battery technology, you know, finally making those huge changes and getting affordable, um, becoming, you know, more energy dense, um, being able to meet the needs that people have. So that that's the big thing as as I you know see it coming coming down and getting that that view of what's the trends are. What's the biggest change in battery tech that for you has brought us back full
0: circle to batteries being a, a, a meaningful contribution?
1: The I mean the the so the energy density for sure, and then you know quite honestly it's the the ability to um, cycle those batteries and just the the technology being able to utilize. So, so, so think back to a lead acid battery, uh, you know, something that you would have to open up and you have to check the water every, you know, X number of months and and do maintenance on it. So I, I think a big part of it for good or for bad in the, you know, American us culture, you know, the, the whole maintenance aspect of it was a big turnoff. Uh, and so being able to, I always hate to say that these are maintenance free. They're low maintenance. There's nothing about a PV system that's maintenance free, but Reducing that and making it a little bit more accessible to people uh, and integrating into our lifestyles has made it being able to integrate into our lifestyles easier. What about form
0: factor? I mean, I, th- I remember back to my first off-grid systems with, with Blue Line, my first company. We were doing a five kilowatt system and we had to build an entire shed to hold a bank of lead acid batteries with, with charge controllers and monitoring the off-gassing and all kinds of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. And those are, those all go right along with, you know, those advancements in battery technology, uh, being able to, to integrate, be able to do a, I can take my existing grid tie system and I can add a storage battery to it now without huge upgrades, without adding a bunch of equipment reworking the array. That's that in of itself is a, you know, a big game changer so that we're making it more accessible. Again, it's kind of getting back to the accessibility thing for, for people. When you say energy density, can you ex- explain for, for the lay person? Yeah. So, you know, kind of going back to the ex- example of building a shed to hold, you know, your Trojan L-16s. I mean, these were, you know, batteries that were, gosh, what were those 175, 200 pounds a piece or something? Um, yeah. yeah I mean, they had a they skid loader
0: foot- to bring them in. That's... <laughs>
1: Yeah, they I mean they had a f- the you know the square footage the footprint of them themselves is probably not much more than a a little bit bigger than you know your typical car battery but they were probably three times the height uh and and they probably you know were bigger you know the exact dimensions but but yeah I remember you know lugging those things around and and those were you know Three hundred ki- um, amp hour I forget the exact specs it's been so long now, um, but nonetheless, you have this rating of this battery, but you could only use fifty percent of it eighty percent of it if you were being really crazy so just the ability to to pull that energy that's stored in the batteries out um, for this square footage or the, for the footprint it would take uh, was you know much th- the we had less density we had less energy in that same area I mean you look at a power wall now or these you know bolted to the side of the wall and it's it's not even taking up floor space in your garage anymore yeah
0: i mean i remember you probably i feel like we're in a time in batteries right now that we were back when pv powered introduced a wall mounted 30 kw remember that and it's like <laughs> the whole industry was like whoa and now we have like suitcase size 300 kilowatt inverters right. introduced by sungra last yeah. week right um yeah. the virtually the same size 360 kilowatts that we had in a pv powered wall mountable inverter 10 years ago It's insane. Similarly, how do you think that this kind of form factor and chemistry, like we haven't talked yet about lead acid to lithium ion, lithium iron phosphate, there's lots of different chemistries that are exciting, but how will storage change how engineering PV arrays is thought, is done?
1: I see it as we're moving into this realm where PV always has had this storage being, in my mind... Customers, especially uh, residential, thinking that solar equals storage equals resiliency, Uh, and we really got away from that. And again, we're kind of coming full circle with the ability to do that. So I see storage really giving us that option again, and really or making a a viable option, I guess you could say. I mean, as many, many for many years, you know, what we would see is people would always ask, "Okay, I'm getting a solar system, and if if they were properly." educated about it they understand that power goes out so does their pv system they're like okay well that's stupid why would i do that the next logical question is well how do we make that not be the case and you know contractors would very often just talk people out of storage quite honestly and because it was expensive it was much more complex Uh, but with our with what we're seeing moving into these new technologies that's that is getting taken away
0: you know i totally get uh, and I think it it is really exciting how storage is going to revolutionize residential solar. And I think we're already square in the era of PV plus storage being a pseudo requirement and almost pseudo expectation by homeowners, given the kind of technology that the leading installers Sunrun, Sonova and others are are offering to the marketplace. Do you think the same is true for CNI and utility?
1: The the CNI space is interesting uh, as I see it, you know, through my lens. And I think I have somewhat of a not necessarily a unique lens, I guess, but it's uh where I sit in the world, sitting in Oregon, we are um very resiliency focused. And so uh and we have you know, dirt cheap electricity. Uh, you know, it's we're we're we are, if there is a, such a thing as definition of, you know, too cheap to meter kind of thing. So it's interesting to see the industry. So we, work, we do a lot of work in California as well. And so we see quite the opposite there where CNI, they are putting in storage to offset demand charges. And so they have, you know, they have a, you have a commercial facility, you start up in the morning, you have these high demand charges and storage right now already is at a position where it can really help with that and and reduce those costs um you come you know just a few miles north uh and all of a sudden you don't pay enough in 20 years to warrant adding batteries and demand charges but we have maybe a little different mentality we have you know for those of you aware of it, there's something called the Cascadia subduction zone. And we're, we're overdue in the Northwest. Pacific Northwest is like 500 years or something overdue for a catastrophic earthquake. And so resiliency is much on our minds. And then you look at what just happened in Texas uh, and power safety shutdowns, things like that. So I do see the industry, the, the commercial industry, you know, moving Towards the resiliency uh, storage backup um, mentality as well, uh, just because you know we're that, that's big. There are situations where that's just a lot of money that those folks are losing uh, in these events.
0: Few critical needs uh, businesses in the Northwest that may or may not be serving all of our internet needs. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's, 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 there's one, one or two. Or two yeah. That yeah, just, just <laughs> might be over half the internet. Uh, <laughs> residing on AWS or uh, Azure servers. Well, that's, that's actually really interesting because you bring up a term that I think back to our uh, conversation around a glossary, there's a uh-huh. term that's been bandied about for quite a while. Uh, microgrid would be in this category as well, but resiliency, mm-hmm. what does resiliency mean to you as an engineer and how has it been codified or is there still a lack that's- of...
1: That's a great question. And that's, a, I think, probably a perfect example of what when I say resiliency, you may think something completely different. Uh, it's a word that gets thrown around in the industry, but there's no I wouldn't say there's no true definition. So when I say resiliency, you know, from we just did a project with um, the military department and for them, resiliency means standalone operations without interruption for two weeks. Yeah. And so resiliency to you as a homeowner may mean. I don't want my, you know, my, my microwave clock to glitch out on me. And, you know, the the longest power outage I've seen is eight hours in 10 years. I've been in this house and that's what I just want to get through that, but it's not the whole house necessarily. So I think that's a great point is, you know, what does resiliency mean? And so that gets into when you're talking with customers, when you're talking with your clients, What is it you're trying to accomplish, and defining resiliency for what their goals and what their missions are?
0: Yeah, that's right. And it also, uh, we did a conversation with the folks at CPS Energy down in Texas, where they have storage as a component of their RFP or had the RFP that was, you know, closed back in February. And there is this question at a utility scale, uh, and it's not so much for residential. I would say most of the military applications are utility scale of uh, short duration versus long duration, you get into mm-hmm. a lot of different chemistries, including salt, uh, molten mm-hmm. salt, and uh, pumped uh, pumped air storage, compressed air mm-hmm. storage. Um, so storage itself becomes one of those uh, not so granular definitions. Well, what do we mean by storage? Uh, have you found any or created resources that particularly address the broad scope and then the granular focus of how storage can and should be understood.
1: I don't have a, I don't have a good answer for that one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> opportunity. Entrepreneurs that are listening. Opportunity. Yeah. Um, everybody's trying to fix the problem, but folks like, you know, some, you know, companies like us at Suncast are kind of looking at it going, wait, there's a different problem uh, mm-hmm. that the human capital side of this needs addressed. And that is, how do we actually understand this if we're not steeped in 15 years of engineering? Right. Um, or we're not directly addressing the needs of the CNI market. And, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of folks trying to get in this industry. They don't understand what the heck, the difference between compressed air storage and lithium ion storage, or that th- those two dichotomies exist. Um, Great, right, right. uh, I wonder around that topic of resiliency and defining the playing field, uh, how, you know, how moving forward, we can help folks with that.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting in, in uh, you know, our company being so focused on PV specifically and the, and the technologies that revolve around um, PV. It's, you know, when you take that step back and kind of go back to your 30,000 foot view is, you know, there's projects going on where they're uh, pumping water as far you know, that's the storage. They're pumping water for use in uh, running turbines at night. Uh, and it's just another form of storage, another way of using the energy when you have it, but don't necessarily aren't going to use it. And so uh, pumped hydro is the back. original storage. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah that definition, definition of storage. Even. Even. Well, you have been in, at, the, at the heart of helping define and codify our industry. And that's one of the reasons why I use that term. Like, do, it, are there real... National Electric Code definitions around resiliency uh, or microgrids that are pertinent for us. I I remember a previous conversation you said there are, quote, real codes and equipment now in place that people can use and spec and, and integrate into systems without creating it bespoke.
1: Yeah there there are and we're we're in the very early stages and so for national electrical code especially uh, i mean there's a whole um, article now around microgrids and so we have definitions we have rules and requirements around you know what these are um but the the really hard part with all of that is is you know we're national electrical code uh, codes in general on these three year cycles, and so right now, you know where we sit today in our you know early twenty twenty one they're already writing the code for the next or actually, the code has already been written for what's going to be released in twenty twenty three so by the time we get to, and you can imagine how fast our industry moves by the time we get to that, what they wrote in code, you know they don't have the crystal balls, they don't have all the answers, the folks writing the codes, and so it's really hard for. Codes to stay up with technology, especially in our industry. Sorry, I'll interrupt there will be people taken aback and
0: somehow mystically surprised by the 2023 code the way they were with the 2017
1: code. Right. (laughs) Even though we talked about it for a decade. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, why are we doing this? And and that's one of the things. And so (laughs) it's 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 a difficult process, that's for sure.
0: Hey, by now I'm sure you've probably heard about our Mission-Minded program. Getting your dream job in clean energy in 12 weeks. Our current cohort is giving us great feedback and kudos, I might add, as they go through the material and our coaching calls. You can see more about what this program looks like at suncast.vip. That's our brand-spanking-new webpage to talk about the Mission-Minded program. That's also where you can send friends, family, neighbors, colleagues that you know who might need a little extra help, a little guidance to find that dream job in clean energy. Our mission-minded program cohort is ongoing right now. We are taking a waiting list for our next cohort. I'd encourage you to do two things. One, send anyone you know that might be interested. Two, those of you who are so inclined, please go check out suncast.vip and email me, nico at mysuncast.com. Ryan, I want to back it out to, uh, you know, 30,000 feet again, and just think at a macro level, kind of about your role as an entrepreneur, your role as a green, clean energy entrepreneur, even. So, what do you feel is the number one headache that you consistently have had to deal with? Either that, you know, the sort of the game inside your head or the real business problems that that you have to solve as an entrepreneur in the green economy?
1: You know, for me, uh, I would say it's been balance. And I say that. I think in a couple of different ways. I think balance, personal and work life, that always comes up for people, and that's a that's a big one. But then even within the company and within the business of balancing, you know, what I uh, want to do uh, versus what I kind of have to do, uh, and those are probably the, the hardest things for me. And, and you know, I have we all have our own stuff, right? And for me, that's just playing that game and and doing that balance is it's probably been one of the hardest things that I've, that I've had
0: any tools that have been particularly productive for you in overcoming the the challenges presented in that,
1: you know, I'm probably going ahead and relying on others or asking others for help, uh, which is not, I think probably a lot of entrepreneurs out there will, will relate with that, of not that, not being an easy thing to do, uh, letting go a little bit. Uh, and that's something that over the years, I've, I think I've learned a little bit better. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to claim that I'm great at it, but that is definitely one of those things, recognizing those that are around you and, and being able to, uh, to, to ask on them, ask, ask them for help, especially when things are, you know, really stressful. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I hear me, I hear myself saying these things and then like, now do I put my own, my own words into action? Yeah. That's, that's one of the hardest things.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, number one, if there's anything you've, you've come across that has in imp- expanded your head knowledge about how to do this?
1: Um, you know, the thing, I, I can't say that there, I can't point to any one exact thing. I feel like it's been a lot for me, a lot of trial and error. And, um, you know, I haven't found any, um, you know, books or, or work or thing like that. The thing that for myself that works really well is quite honestly, exercise it's one of those things I was actually just recently talking with my wife about this and, you know, I'd kind of lost track of, of doing that. I, I used to, well, I, in the past, I've been very diligent about, about that and then letting things slide. And it definitely, it's a noticeable effect uh, on, on your everyday life. If you don't, for me uh, getting out and and doing that.
0: I completely agree.
1: Uh, Now that you've got a team, do you have
0: any sort of consistency and framework around how you manage the process of letting go and trusting others to do work.
1: You know, I've been I feel like I've been very in my my approach is very much hands off, I guess. Um uh, I I don't feel like I'm really top down. Uh and so in a lot of ways I feel like that's great and it gives people the freedom to do things and in other senses it can be more difficult because uh if the problem is more abstract or if somebody doesn't quite have that skill set and um being able to recognize that becomes difficult. Um, So that's, you know, for me, it's, you know, that's part of my personality of here's the, here's the problem. Here's, here's the, maybe even a potential solution, but you, you know, hand it off and and try and let somebody, you know, figure it out. Ryan,
0: when you kind of look around at the world of folks that do what you do, who would you consider your
1: peers? You know, when we started, when I started the business, it was interesting. So 2007, Uh, doing instruction, doing a lot of training, and doing this uh, system, PV system design. There weren't a lot of people doing the PV system design at that point. And it was, I kind of made the comment at one point to somebody of either I'm, you know, really smart or I'm really stupid because I don't see a lot of people out there doing what I'm trying to do. And, you know, one of the people that comes to mind is Tobin Booth, um, former uh, Blue Oak Energy um, and he was always somebody who i I aspired to be you know a peer or a, a um, competition quite honestly. I was like that was kind of my aspiration, but I always felt like Tobin was just kind of that one step ahead uh and and so that was you know kind of the the person who I would always look to uh and the company that I would always look to as I was growing my business there well,
0: as you've thought about inspired by Tobin and probably countless other sense, your business and how you divide the sort of divide and conquer help me understand how you've come to think about organizing the business the what you do and who you do
1: it for so the you know the what we do is we're really trying to bring more education and more technical knowledge to the industry and so I would say that's you know the the what we do in the team I've assembled uh, to help do that is, you know, honestly quite incredible. I have folks, you know, David Brearley was with Solar Pro for a long time, Justine Sanchez who is uh, with SEI and Home Power magazines, and so you know, people with that mindset of educating and bringing uh, more knowledge to the industry. And so that's, you know, I would say what we do, and and how we're doing it is we're really trying to focus in on, you know, improving the content that's. Working, So we're working with manufacturers to help improve their content, to get their message better, uh, and then also doing our own sets of workshops and trying to get more information, you know, get the code knowledge, I, you know, for good or for bad. I, I could probably sit here and talk about code all day long. It's, you know, total geeky topic, but it's an important thing and being able to understand it and and relate it to people in their everyday work is an important thing.
0: Do you have your organization broken down into business
1: units? We do. Yeah. And so we have the basic, we have the design side. uh, So that's, you know, majority, the longest part of our business. And then we have what we call our technical group and our education group. And so those are the, the main lines that we're, we're working with. Nice. And around design, is there a particular
0: client that is your bread and butter?
1: I would say our client would be larger scale commercial doing um EPC doing commercial projects. And, you know, a lot of times there are larger companies that have a lot of resources in-house, but maybe they maybe they just don't they can't um fulfill everything that they have going on because they have so much. Um, and then we also have some, you know, smaller clients that they don't have those in-house resources. And so we provide that design and engineering uh, resource for those folks. So I would say those are, you know, our our typical clients.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, I've had several folks on the show that do similar work as you, and they kind of view themselves as fractional uh, chief engineering officer, right? Like sure. As a as an organization, you provide the kind of leadership and actual execution on design engineering that certain fast growth companies and certain types of CEOs or leaders can't, uh, justify building internally. Do you find that, uh, your best clients continue to work with you indefinitely or eventually outgrow you?
1: You know, I would say we, most of our clients are long-term, long, long ongoing clients. We don't have a lot of turnover uh, in that sense. And I think a big part of it is it's, it's interesting. Even, even those that have in, in-house resources as they grow, uh, it just seems like they can't get those resources to catch up with what they're doing otherwise. And so, uh, and I feel like, you know, the, the value that we bring and being able to be more of a partnership with them, uh, it's been, you know, it proves, you know, the value to them as well. And, and we've been able to maintain those relationships.
0: Do you do outsourced design where you offshore it?
1: No, you've done a little bit where we contract with people maybe to do like um, reviews or help us um, do some, um, some stuff, but we don't, we don't send it off like having any sort of outsource CAD shop or anything like that. Um, You know, quite honestly, we tried uh, for some smaller projects with even just doing uh, roof layouts, like you send the address and and trying it that way just to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, but what we found was for our process, it just, it wasn't a great fit. And so we've just kept everything in house. You mentioned technical services. What does technical services mean? Because that could be a broad swath. Sure. Yeah. And so when I say technical services, that's what I'm referring to when uh, I talk about working with uh, manufacturers to create technical content, uh, if they may have um, helping clients come to market with a, a new product, for example. So we're working with some clients, some established companies, and, you know, they have some products, they're out there in the market, but they've never really fully engaged the solar market. So we're helping them uh, understand kind of steps they need to do, the the content they need to create, and actually then helping them create that content to- uh, Can you give me examples? Because
0: I don't like, I think of content like a blog post and a video.
1: Sure. Yep, so a uh, blog post is a good it would be a good example, um, but we're also doing white papers, so we have uh, some clients where we're doing some really uh, extensive long form writing, you know, 20 plus page white papers on a very specific topic. So we're working with the subject matter experts within the company to get their voice, understand what they're trying to say and then be able to create this this long form paper for whatever the audience is that they have. And then we're also doing exactly what you said, videos, you know, we're helping uh, produce produced some videos, so introducing tools, how it applies to the solar industry, and talking directly to the contractors. I think that you guys did. when I first started
0: noticing, and for me, this is important as a uh, a brand and uh, product market fit, I didn't know who Mayfield was at all, other than I associated you with like that guy that writes articles for Solar Pro that seems really smart, but like way in the weeds on code and stuff that I don't really particularly care about. Um, mm-hmm. implicitly in my job. Uh, sure. It's an externality that I, I, I offshore that exper- expertise to you. But then Jen started working with you and Jen's a part of our community. And I saw the website you guys were working on and I thought, wow, this redesign is really clever. For those who haven't had a chance yet, I would encourage you to go to mayfield.energy and right. check out the, the website. And it's, it's gorgeous. I love what you guys did there. The brand, the mark that you created, which if folks are watching this on video can see on your shirt, it's, it's, it's in many ways, it's very clever and beautiful and well done. For those small business CEOs out there who've often thought, I, I need to take like that next step in branding after five, 10 years of running my small shop. How did you think about that and, and then act on it with, with such what I would consider great success?
1: The whole rebrand um, thing came up originally because the the business name actually was Renewable Energy Associates back when that 2008 started get going, getting going. And quite honestly, I was never a huge fan of that name. Um, kind of has as much, you know, it's, it's, it's very bland. It's kind of you know got as much panache as a cardboard box in a lot of ways. Quite honestly, people didn't know the name they, they they recognize i think kind of to your point they recognized my name from things i was writing things i was doing but then when i would say the business name it was just like they had no idea and it was it's plus you didn't want to get just, confused
0: bl- in the market with clean energy associates
1: <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> it, it just didn't stand out and it wasn't there was really it was very very bland and it was just one of those things that for years it was just in the back of my mind like oh gosh i really don't like this and then finally with the help of Jennifer, we decided to make the plunge, make the change, and you know we did it. It was all in house that we did it, and you know it was probably a few months of a process and kind of the the whole shoestring budget kind of thing on on doing it. And uh, I, I'm very happy with the way it came out. I'm, I couldn't be you know more excited with the logo, the, just how everything came out. And and so that was yeah, that was kind of the the story behind that.
0: I gotta tell you, I see I've seen a lot of rebrands few of them done well almost none of them done in house and i was i was floored when jen said yeah i came up with the logo i mean it it's so clever and simple yep. unique recognizable i want a mayfield hat just fyi when i see you at an upset okay. like okay that's i would wear that hat cuz it's so unique it's like that's a really what does that
1: mean it's an electrical symbol for a three pole breaker yeah uh, and I so love it, it. kind of drives into the the electrical design part of it yeah and so then the other you know, part of it is if you kind of make the leap with the, the rest of it, you can turn it into an M as well. So those totally. are kind of the, the, the dual.
0: I think it's so clever and it's just the right level of clever. So kudos to you, Jen. Kudos to you, Ryan, for trusting <laughs> your internal team and give, giving them the freedom that we talked about earlier. Right. Along that line, I feel like there are often things that as entrepreneurs, we see the world differently than others. What's something that is true for you that very few people might agree with you on?
1: You know, on this one, I would have to say somewhat, you know, and it kind of goes back to something you say at the beginning of your, on your intro about people giving their time uh, to, you know, to listening to, to your show and to your podcast. And for me, I think that's part of it is just kind of, and this gets back to, I think something I said before on the education side, um, kind of giving up some time, being able, being willing to answer the question, you know, I get. Not a ton, but I do get, you know, questions, you know, come into me from the industry, people I know, people I don't know. But just trying to take the time to to answer those, even though there's, you know, likely not going to be a financial reward on that. For me, it's just a matter of being involved in, in doing that. So I guess when I was getting started reading entrepreneur books, you know, value your time, value your time. And it's and it's not that I feel like I'm devaluing my time, but it's I think it's uh in some ways giving the time away, but doing it in a purposeful way.
0: Yeah. You're also a teacher. It's in you. Yes, It's in you. I yeah. can't other, help yeah. not. <laughs> and it also differentiates you from others in the field. Candidly, there are lots of folks today, not in 2007, but today who are trying to, and who are succeeding at competing in the marketplace that you've been in for a while.
1: Oh, definitely. Oh,
0: definitely. And they would never take inbound calls to answer Educational style questions. They would say, "Look, YouTube, right?" It brings me to another question that I have. I think I know the answer, and it kind of ties back. I feel like to some of the training and the long history you have as an industry expert, specifically around policy, et cetera. But what do you consider that Mayfield is world class at?
1: So I would say it's our uh, training and education, and you know the 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 old adage that that you've heard, I'm sure you've heard before, is you know you. When you teach something, you learn it twice. And I feel like our team, whether it's on the design side or over on our technical and education side, they are doing exactly that. They're working with the clients, they're teaching the clients. We're not just doing the work and we're turning it over, but we're actually teaching the clients and we're working with the clients to train them on to think like we're thinking and to be able to bring that information in their own way as well. And so, yeah, I would say we are world-class at you know, training and education.
0: How do you think about, as an entrepreneur, automating that process so that it doesn't take up more and more of your team's time?
1: That one is probably the one that you asked for headaches. And that one actually, as soon as you asked that question, I was like, that's a, that's a big one because, you know, you'll hear a lot. And I've had business consulting help as well and making things scalable. You need to be able to replicate things and make things scalable or make them to be able to really grow and make them and build yourself. And quite honestly, I mean, this, and that's something we've been struggling with, quite honestly, and we're trying to get better at. Uh, but when you have a client who, for example, comes in and wants a, a 20 page white paper, that's not something you can turn around and sell to, you know, somebody else. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a very intense process. That's a very specific and, and quite honestly, a hard thing to do. And thankfully we have the right people on staff. The scalable part of it is it's, it's very, we have quite honestly, some of the, the best experts in the field. And so to, to try and grow that it's hard, um, is we don't, all of us only have so many hours in the day. And when you have to put that much time and effort into something, uh, that becomes the hard part. And so I don't, I haven't cracked that nut yet and my team hasn't, but that's definitely something that we're trying to see how we can make better. How do you think
0: about aligning or, or sort of architecting the education platform side of your business? Where do you teach? Where does your team teach? How do they show up in the world? Do people always just come
1: to your website to buy your trainings? So we are, we're trying a few different things and this is just part of, you know, entrepreneurship and, you know, listening to what the market wants, what they need and adjusting what we're offering. So we actually have a couple different ways as of today that people can interact with us and do that. So we have a live you know one on one session or i shouldn't say one on one but your company and our SMEs are on a call and we have a topic at hand right now it's you know we're really focusing on solar plus storage so energy storage systems so if you had a company you had 5 10 20 employees that were you know you need they need to learn the code they need to learn something about ESS they could hire us and we do this presentation so it's just your your group in the room which is beneficial in a lot of ways, just because now you don't, you're not sitting in a classroom with a bunch of other folks from your competition and you can maybe hopefully be a little bit more open. This is like corporate Uh, trainings.
0: Like you'll come into their headquarters or do like a virtual training for them.
1: Yeah. As of right now, it's all virtual just because of, you know, everything we're in, but we're, you know, seeing the light at the end of this tunnel. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to do those uh, more in person. I'm going to challenge
0: that. Why do you hope to do them in person? That's not scalable.
1: For me, I think back to being able to travel and go to these people, you're right. Um sending one person somewhere across the country, unless you have just a lot of brilliant people, it's you can't do that uh, and you can't scale that. But the it goes back to you know kind of what our mission and our our what we're world class had. And, you know it's going and delivering this. And you in my opinion, you can't get a better presentation or a better education than if you and I are sitting in the same room you know, there's, I'm not saying it's going to go away. I, I definitely know. I see, you know, sure is a heck of a lot easier for me to sit here in my house yeah. and train 20 people. Uh, and they may be scattered across different locations as well. So there's, I can tell you my the, the,
0: in-person, fa- my in-person fee is going to go up like five X.
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, and, and some people are going to be able to absorb that or, or will like that. And they'll, they'll see the value in that. Uh, others will not. And that's, you know, that's part of the market understanding what, what they want and what they need. How do you see the world
0: of like the heat springs of the world? I love Brian and what they're doing. And you're yeah. one of the kind of key trainers on the heat spring platform. Do you see those yeah. as an enduring part of the world we're
1: moving into? Definitely. And so that was the second part. And the, the other side of that coin of where people can engage with us is we have trainings up on heat spring right now. I've been doing one for many, many years now. Uh, I'm doing it with, with Randy Bachelor. It's a megawatt design class. So talking about larger scale commercial installations, the same energy storage class that I mentioned with Justine, uh, that's also on Heatspring. And so it doesn't matter really what size shop you are, but if you have, you know, somebody wants to go learn this, it's a two-hour code class, you get your NABSEP credits, you're learning about energy storage systems and the latest codes. And we're adding to that throughout the year, we're adding to what that offering is. And so we're going to expand. So it's not just, it's not just purely a code thing, but we're going to talk about, how do you apply it? How do you do designs? How do you get the equipment that you need? How do you specify what equipment's even available? So those are all kinds of things that we're talking about and trying to get people the the information. So yeah, Heatspring is another, I would say, really big one.
0: You know, I want to ask a a personal question that I think is pertinent here as we kind of turn the corner in a slightly different direction away from business model and more towards lessons learned. You and your wife have gone through a, a difficult process of adopting children. And I view adoption as potentially one of the hardest things anyone could bring on themselves, probably up there with starting a business. What are some of the lessons learned in adopting children that you feel are directly applicable to business building?
1: Yeah, it, it is a difficult process. And, you know, I have to credit where credit's due is, you know, really my wife took the the brunt of all of that on. And I have a great partner, quite honestly, would probably be still staring at the first application. <laughs> that got submitted over 18 years ago, if it were up to me. And so, you know, relying on somebody, kind of going back to, you know, letting somebody not necessarily make the decisions. That's that's a really wrong way to put it, but um kind filter of information. Taking the charge and and um create criteria. Yeah. And so and then just somewhat trusting the process through the adoption process. We we did one domestic and two international. And so they're very, very different processes in and them of themselves, just the level of communication, everything. Uh, and so just somewhat trusting that what that process is and, you know, doing this best you can to, to guide it, but also knowing that some of it's out of your control and you just have to to somewhat roll with it.
0: Yeah. What part of yourself do you feel like you had to release or lose in that process to become a father to these children that you've brought into your family?
1: Probably like this is what the timeline is, or this is like having at least that level of control of these are the steps. This is what's going to happen. Um, because each one was dramatically different and each one had its own hiccups. Uh, and so kind of giving up that, that knowingness of control and just realizing that in some cases you're at, you know, the control of a government or, you know, a judge who you have no idea who they are They they, have you know, so it's, it's just one of those, uh, just kind of giving up that control, which, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's, As everybody probably relate, you know, giving that level of control is is hard to, to just rely on others for. Were they very young children? Our oldest was newborn. So we were in the hospital when he was born. Our middle came home when she was eight months old and our youngest when he was 15 months old.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause I have friends who also have adopted at, you know, like the mid digit, single digits, like five to eight years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And for me, as an entrepreneur managing a team, I saw immediate parallels because one of the biggest complaints is you have to, in very concrete ways, you have to undo the training of others, right? You have to, you have Mm -hmm. to get in and work on mindset and adopted children. Uh, I mean, look, just about every entrepreneur's employees are adopted children. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody else (laughs) probably had influence over them before you did. Sure. And I, I like to think about, you know, our role as guide running businesses is to care for the people under our stewardship, to give them a future, the way that you would give your children Sure, to to help them create their own future outcome that Mm -hmm. also along the way leaves massive amounts of opportunity and deposits for your clients uh, that are accretive to your business.
1: Yeah. And it's, um, it's actually interesting to to think of it and kind of in those parallels and, you know, trying to, there's hard decisions that have to be made parenting and, you know, uh, as an employer. And so believing in those decisions and and knowing that, you know, they're not always going to be easy or well-received is just something that, yeah, there's, I, I do walk away from, you know, leave the office sometimes or walk away from the computer and just do see those parallels with, with the parenting. And I've, I've definitely felt that before.
0: I love it. This might be a new question that I inject here. It came to me when we were doing our um our conversation and you you shared that you had uh, adopted children and I thought to myself, "Wow, that's a totally different mindset to adopt children. Uh that's like a you take that on yourself. Mm-hmm. You like willingly accept all the risks, all the risks lifelong. There's a whole lot of statistics around like adopted children and health, mental well-being, ways that you get to influence and and change that narrative. So, I see that a lot in the in the folks that work with us and on our team, you know, Alex, a lot of folks know Alex. He's, I like to call him a a Venezuelan refugee, but he literally like is waiting on his visa status to live in another South American country because he had to get out of Venezuela for all the reasons that make it hard to live in Venezuela. And he's a key contributor to the team. And we've tried our best to make life easier for him. And he has just been such a joy to have in our family in that regard. You know, that's great. Yeah. When you think about, the solar or renewable energy industry—you've been around as, as long as I have, longer. What do you think of when I you know, mention the word success story?
1: The thing that I think of, and this kind of goes back to when I was learning, kind—I of, guess you can call them my roots. You know, I think back to folks like uh, Richard and Karen Perez, uh, founders of Home Power Magazine. Uh, Joe Schwartz, who then was at Home Power and, and started Solar Pro. Folks at SCI. Uh, Johnny Weiss, for example. I, so I'm just kind of going back to the folks that you know I would see as my mentors, you know, or the people that I you know, I have a a f- fun story of, you know, John um, going to Soul West. Um I don't know if uh you or listeners know of Soul West. It was a festival out in John Day, Oregon, Eastern Oregon, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, um, but it would draw a big crowd. And I remember it was like my second year in the industry. This was early 2000s, and the Home Power crew was there, and I was just so starstruck. <laughs> um, so um, I just remember. So I, I, you know, for me, the success there is just how much influence they've been able to impart, and how much education, and how much they've been able to teach people. Uh, I mean, that was Home Power was one of my main sources yeah. of learning when I was getting and, going. You and, and
0: thousands of others, yeah,
1: exactly, myself so, included. So, yeah. And so, so for me, that's, you know, a huge success. And when I think about it, you know, think about Richard and Karen living off grid, Southern Oregon, just kind of living the life they want, uh, doing something that they loved to me. I mean, that's, that's, that's the definition of success right there for me.
0: Doing the life that you love. Yeah. And, and building a business that helps to support it, right. uh, as opposed to the other way around building a life right, that right. supports your, your work life. Beyond that takeaway, what are other key lessons or takeaways from important mentors in your life that have impacted your career?
1: You know, I think kind of goes back to, I think something I said a little earlier too, um, you know, I think back to one of my, my early first uh, jobs at Energy Outfitters, uh, working for Bob Maynard, and he was very much willing to put the trust in, in you as an individual and he wasn't just me, he would do this. I saw him do this with others. And uh, so it's kind of that same mentality or maybe that's part of where I, I kind of got that method of leadership of, you know, here's, here's what we need to have happen. I don't know all the answers. So can you please go out and do it and come back to me if you have questions, by all means, let's figure it out. But on some levels, you know, here's a problem and I need you to help, help me figure it out.
0: Isn't it so exhausting if you've built and I know this has happened to you. It happens to all of us. If you built the kind of team where you say, all right, guys, here's the goal. We're going to do this. And they go, okay, what are the steps? And you're like, right, uh-huh. And then nothing happens. And you're like, guys, come up with the steps. There's the goal. Yeah. There. Somebody pick the ball up. Fumble. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Or Early in your career to have that kind of a mentor yeah. uh, set that example for you and it, and it empowered you in big ways that helped you Definitely. become an entrepreneur. Mm. What do you think is the next big, huge looming problem that we as an industry need to solve to evolve to scale
1: you know as an industry i would say and and we're doing you know we're getting there really quickly and it seems like maybe this is answer a little late to the game not late to the game but it's it's in process and it's all around storage for me i mean that's what everything i see um being able to effectively deploy it um one of the hard parts that i'm seeing is the the real risks that are there um and maybe those you know being downplayed, um, you know, thermal events, fires, things like that, um, and being able to to truly address those, not try and push them behind a curtain or something, but you know, embracing, you know, what those are and coming up with good solutions. Uh and so the the really the really, really hard part, and I know I mentioned this earlier is you know uh, everybody's when you install an electrical system, so energy storage is part of that, you're installing to to whatever the current codes are, and the problem with the current codes is they're at best three years outdated you know and in some cases ten years outdated and so being able to have those out in the field, the contractors, especially electricians and contractors, knowing what those inherent risks are and being able to bring that up with their ahjs and be able to say yes this is what the codes are but industry you know technology has changed since then so we need to we need to come up with a better solution yeah and like i said the the whole risk factor we need to i think we need to um be better about acknowledging
0: yeah what's the coolest sort of most game-changing uh technology you've seen come out in the last six months 12 months
1: oh man um, unfortunately without when, you know, with the lack of shows, uh, being able to go see this stuff, it's been, everything I've seen has been around storage. And I think that really speaks to what our business has been really focused in on. So just some of the different technologies, some of the different battery manufacturers, I'm not huge. I, um, this is where, you know, having somebody like Justine on the team of being able to speak ad nauseum about the different technologies and pros and cons.
0: What stands out in your mind? Like, is there a company you're like, holy smokes, man. Like when I saw this, I really couldn't believe it. Like I just heard about a rechargeable alkaline battery.
1: Interesting. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I guess I might be a little hesitant to to mention exact manufacturers. There are some people that we're trying to talk to and we're trying to um, to to get as uh, clients. And yeah, stuff. well, then
0: what kind of technology? Like, I'm, I'm just curious if you can share like what you see on the horizon.
1: Uh, it's all about uh, dispatchable energy and being able to, or energy storage, I should say, and being able to utilize that uh, for... Um, specifically for, you know, direct solar applications. Uh, and so being able to, you know, do DC coupling uh, and being, I guess, more efficient about about it and the scale, being able to scale it uh, much better.
0: Got it. Okay, cool. Well, I know that you, uh, like me, are a reader. We believe that readers are leaders and leaders are readers. I'd love to know if there are any particular books that you gift and why, or what? If not, uh, anything comes to mind? What's on your nightstand? What kind of reading are you engaged in?
1: Essentially, because early in my career, I would say you know, I picked up whatever the uh, entrepreneur books at the time, whatever you know, Barnes and Noble had on their shelf right there. Um, since then, you know, I've I've fallen away from a lot of that type of reading, and so when I am reading which I don't do as much as I should. I know um, uh, one of the the books that comes to mind uh, is Lost Connections by Johan Hari has absolutely nothing to do with business. And it's a it's more it's kind of a personal journal. Um, and it, he talks about depression, causes of depression and some of the, you know, I don't say the some of the ways of treating depression. So it's for him, it was a, um, a very personal Story suffered from depression himself, went on medications, and then just kind of came to these realizations that it wasn't right for him. And so he went through basically went around the world talking to people and just finding ways of dealing with how different cultures, different people deal with this. And so there's just some great stories in there. And it's a very, you know, personal thing to me having, you know, there's, um, you know, just work people that are very, very close to me, you know, trying to help them through anxiety depression those kinds of things and so um that was that's one of the ones and there's just so many lessons in there that are adjacent to basically that can apply to everything and so that's one of the probably the book that i've recommended uh, and gifted the most um out of anything
0: thank you for that johan is spelled with a j and we'll link to that yeah and it's lost connections uncovering the real causes of depression and the unexpected solutions so of course we'll link to that as we always do uh, that's fantastic. Uh, so you mentioned a little about exercise as uh, a, a force multiplier for you. Do you have a morning routine or perhaps an evening routine? Uh, how do you structure your day so that consistent habits uh, give you leverage?
1: I, I do have a morning routine, and it starts with me dragging myself out of bed because I hate getting out of bed. I am I'm absolutely not a morning person. It's if I could sleep till nine nine thirty every day, I probably would, but. For me, the routine is get out of bed before anybody else is awake and just have a few moments drinking the coffee. I try and not get sucked into the Twitter hole. Um, and but the um, finding the time, making the time in the morning to do my exercise is really the the key. Like if I don't do it in the morning, it's not going to happen. I just know it. I just have to be consistent about that. And then, you know, evenings with children, (laughs) they're not mine, (laughs) you know, I leave, leave the office or I come home or, you know, now I'm at home working at home, um, walk out of the office. It's what are we doing with the kids or what's What's going on with the kids? Be open um, to,
0: be open to receive.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And so, um, someone again, letting go. Do you have a specific
0: time that you try to get in bed just to optimize your sleep?
1: Yeah. About 10 o'clock is I, I try and be in bed pretty consistently by 10. Um, Yeah. Are you, yeah, a,
0: and so since you're not a morning person, but you try to drag yourself out, is there like, what's early for you?
1: Early for me, uh, would be like five 30, six is pretty, you know, a little bit more common. And, and so, yes, but, uh, for a while there, I was part of my exercise routine was doing triathlons. And for me, it's very much a, it's a, um, you know, I having the goal and having like, I'm going to do this and there's a date on the calendar where I'm going to go do this for, you know, however long it's going to take me, that's very motivating for me. And so being able to like, just have that knowing what that is, is helps me maintain it. And so that's part of all of this COVID stuff, all of that getting shut down. Like I didn't have those like firm goals in place. And so it was easy for me to slip.
0: Totally identify Set, having a goal in the calendar of like, I'm going to run that marathon. It's so motivating. Although I, tr- I dabbled in triathlons and realized with uh, three children that it was masochism like it was basically me choosing my body and my exercise routines over my family's well-being <laughs> so i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't personally justify it uh at least at the age that my children were back uh, back then uh i haven't sure. even considered it now that they're a little so, older so
1: for me part of it too was you know that self-care part and um i had a neighbor you know make a comment about how how much they saw me out running and stuff like that and it was like this is my me time this is you know I catch mm-hmm. my podcast time. Now. Hey, back off. <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> how I catch up on Suncast. <laughs> well, where can folks that want to learn more about you and what you're about, where can they best engage with you?
1: You know our website, so Mayfield.energy is a great place. Uh, LinkedIn, we're quite active on LinkedIn, and so we're doing um, a lot there. Just started our um, Twitter feed, and so we can do that, but you know it's not a super active thing, I would say, you know, uh, LinkedIn is, is where we are the most active.
0: Well let's end today as we always do with a bold prediction. You've had a a few sort of uh intonations to that end already. Ryan, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball?
1: For me it's what I'm building this the business for and it's the the education and technical content. The I think the the need is there, the um what the what the industry is craving is there um and so seeing more, more and more companies um, not doing just, you know, purely marketing work, but really trying to educate people. And, and so that's what I, I see people really appreciating and um, being drawn towards.
0: I love it. Well, I think that Mayfield and you, Ryan, as the, as the head positioned uh, themselves really well as an educator and a thought leader. And I encourage folks to check out not only the website, but also Heatspring, leave a little, uh, a little comment here uh, in the outro for how you can do that, um, and with our friends Brian and the Heat Spring folks, there's a ton more uh educational opportunity there. And I would encourage you, if you're a corporate who doesn't quite have their head wrapped around how the codes are going to impact your business, contact Mayfield. I have, I have no vested interest in saying that other than I like <laughs> Ryan and what they're doing. I consider that he's been a teacher for me around that topic for years through Solar Pro, and you're just not going to find better talent in the market that can help you kind of wrap your head around that and take some of the weight off your shoulders so uh ryan appreciate what you and the guys do and sorry you and the team (laughs) pardon look forward to how others can engage with you
1: well great thanks so much for having me nico
0: it's been great all right solar warriors that's a wrap on today's conversation with ryan mayfield i hope that you enjoyed and learned as much as uh, you expected through this conversation. Took a few different twists and turns than we normally do in uh, the interview. uh, Introduced a few new questions. I'd love your feedback. If you liked the nature of this conversation, what did you like about it? Ryan and I would love to hear from you. As you just heard, he's over on LinkedIn quite often, and you know that I am. You can find us both there. In fact, you can find a post that we've done today on this episode announcing it, and I'd love it if you just drop in the comments what you learned, and, and if you would be so gracious with your time and your network to share this on LinkedIn as well, gosh, uh, I would just be so grateful to you, and I know Ryan would as well. If you are eager to keep learning, well, then you, my fellow Math, can join the masses over on mysuncast.com, where we share resources, highlights, and social media links, book recommendations, and more in the show notes section on the blog of the website. And uh, and you can just do exactly that. Keep learning. Next week, we'll be bringing you another tactical Tuesday and practical long form thought leader on Thursday that will help continue to educate you on how to build your business or career in clean energy. Thanks once again to our sponsors and our Suncast community for helping make this content free to you all and thank you for tuning in. You can learn more about how to partner with us either as a sponsor or a member by going to mysuncast.com, checking out the sponsor or member links. Remember, you are what you listen to. So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.